Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performer. I'm Dr. Rowan Nadler. My esteemed co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, is with us. And, you know, between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders to perform in the top 10%. We're in organizations every day doing either uh, executive coaching, leadership development, uh, training, corporate training. And we always want to bring you some tips, some tools that allow you to move into the top 10% or the people that you supervise in a top 10%. And so we're really excited to have Ken McConnellog with us. And let me give you a little bit of background, but the title of our show is Communication in Complex Organizations. From the commonplace to crisis, we're communicating all the time, and we want to be able to, uh, with Ken, to be able to give you some tips about, you know, one, how to communicate better, and especially in complex organizations or if there's some crisis going on. So Ken uh, McConaughey is the Vice President for Communications at the University of Colorado. Ken has worked in higher education communications for 25 years. He's worked with university presidents with backgrounds as diverse as a U.S. senator, corporate attorney, career academics, multi-million, uh, multi-millionaire businessman, and he has worked with elected and appointed governing boards. So he's responsible for the communication and the media relations for Colorado University's four campus systems. So they have at Boulder, Colorado Springs, Denver, and Schultz Medical Campus with 63,000 students, 32,000 employees. And so his primary responsibilities are with the university's president, the governing board uh, of regents, and you can imagine all the issues that come up, and that's going to go through his desk and through uh, his process about how do we communicate this. Um, before his work in higher education, Ken was a newspaper reporter with various newspapers in Colorado, and he's been a freelance writer for a variety of magazines and provided radio essays for NPR and other uh, public radio stations. So before we bring Ken on, and we have a series of questions, and we have a couple case studies of, of situations that people have heard about, you know, what worked, what didn't work in those situations. Uh, you know, with Voice America, um, we're now the number two rated business show with listeners around uh, 27 countries, 126 cities. Typically, over the last four years, we've had about a million downloads. So you can go to our show, uh, voiceamerica.com, and you can download any of the uh, interviews we've done over the last 10 years, or you can um, get your own series on iTunes and do the same thing. And so Kathy and I have been doing this for, I mentioned for a long time, and I'm going to give you a quick little intro for Kathy. Kathy is an expert in leading executives and their companies and their proven work-life strategies based on positive psychology, now really the science of courage. She's been named the First Lady of Happiness, the First Lady of Fearless Living, by ABC TV. She's authored numerous uh, popular books on the science of happiness, including What Happy Working Mothers Know, and she touches millions as a much-in-demand speaker, TV, radio, and media personality. She's a founder of four leadership consultancies and three leadership uh, institutes. She supports behavioral research 
and given friendly tips and tools. And you can find some of these friendly tips and tools in her free app called Your Happiness Now. You see her glowing face there, and you get some tools and tips. Uh, and currently, she's really focusing on working with special operations, sports athletes, and global executives. Her newest book, Fearless Leaders, Sharpen Your Focus, is available on Amazon, and you can get more information on our website, www.fearlessleadersquiz.com, and you can take a quiz and get some of the key uh, tools that she has. Kathy, welcome. You know, my friend um, and colleague, Dr. Relly Nadler, uh, is uh, an amazing human being. He is uh, a master-level certified executive coach. And um, he's not only a psychologist and a corporate leadership and team trainer, but, of course, Relly brings his legendary expertise in emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and development programs. And as many of you are aware, he has a top-ranked book called Leading with Emotional Intelligence, and it provides all of us with hundreds of tools and strategies to develop star performers across any industry, including yours. His Leadership Keys Field Guide is available on Amazon as a book and an ebook, and you can get his free iApp Leadership Keys with videos and many, many tips and tools at the click of a button. And all you need to do is go to your app store and download it. It's free. We'd love to do things for free, as you know. Valley and I are all about adding value to your lives and to your leadership role. He has a popular blog on psychology today with over 145,000 reads, and you can use all of his tools and tips to help measure your EQ, your emotional quotient, and get re- uh, what we love to do, as I said, free resources, get free resources from his EI Central site. So write this down. Text to EI Central, E-I-C-E-N-T-R-A-L, and go to this number, 38470. So text EI Central to 38470 or visit him at truenorthleadership.com and you'll get lots of wonderful tips and tools and techniques and strategies to be your best. Really, um, I am uh, very much looking forward to hearing from Ken, uh, learning from him today, and uh, combining all of our resources to continue to help our audience uh, do their very best as leaders, uh, as team members, and as um, coaches who are serving others the way we serve our audience. Well, great, Kathy. So I'm, I'm excited to hear from Ken. From all the leaders that we deal with, this communication is so important. I think Ken's role is critical, you know, for any any leader, any organization, you know, whether it's you have a professional like Ken or someone on their staff can help. So, Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So, tell us a little bit. We always like to get a little background before we get into the actual topic of just from a leadership standpoint, you know, who's kind of influenced you the most in your life? I think a few people leap to mind. I had some, my background was in journalism. I had some great journalism faculty and mentors who steered me in my career. And I I would say the common thread with these people is they were very demanding, very exacting in that field. And as a result, they made me a strong writer and 
provided the basis for me to be a strong communicator. In my current career, I've, I've been really fortunate. The last two university presidents I've worked for have just been great. Uh, our current president, Bruce Benson, has been president of the University of Colorado for nine years now, and he came to the institution um, from a political background and a philanthropic background, and mm. so to say he was a non-traditional president just puts it mildly. He's been a very successful businessman over his life, and you know he didn't need to do this. He came to the institution because he loves it and he wants to move it forward, and so I really admire that about him. Uh, his predecessor was Hank Brown, who was a former United States senator and congressman, and so these are kind of the people who you don't equate with university leadership positions. Mm. You typically think of an academic, but what these folks have done is really bring a powerful, different perspective to my work is in communication, but also how the university operates. So I, I've been very fortunate to have these people affect my life. So say a word about then, uh, you know, just getting into the communication business. So you sound like you started off as a, um, you know, a newspaper reporter, and then like how do you get how do you move from that into then actually really being probably on the senior teams at the universities? I know University of Northern Colorado before you got into Colorado uh, University. Yeah, at, at the time I was in the newspaper business, it was very much a funnel of you started a smaller paper and you worked up to a bigger paper and then an even bigger one. And maybe if you're lucky, you know, in our market, you got to write for the Denver Post or the Rocky Mountain News. That's changed considerably. But uh, along the way in my career, I had the chance to get into higher education, uh, which really attracted me because I... I like being part of an enterprise that really changes people's lives fundamentally. Mm. So I, I started out at the University of Northern Colorado. I had the nice title of senior writer-editor, which was great because I was the only writer-editor, so it, it felt good to be senior. Uh, and I worked my way up the ranks there. It was a relatively smaller institution with about 10,000 students. So the advantage for me was I got to do a lot of different things. I got to learn a lot of different things. And part of it along the way is just learning the higher education culture, which I would suggest is far different from most organizational cultures. Mm -hmm. um, but I was fortunate to, you know, have what I describe as, you know, some modest talent, uh, the ability to be in the right place at the right time, and, and to take advantage of some dumb luck. So I left Northern Colorado as vice president and have been one here at the University of Colorado for the past 11 years. Ken, you know, before we get into some of these very exciting case studies, just a question for you about dealing with, uh, with senior leaders. You know, there's often a gap between what people say and what people want to hear. Um, when you think about what people want to hear, what are some basic principles that leaders should hit? You know, I think the first and foremost, Kathy, is be honest. Um, you're right. I mean, people often in these positions and in leadership positions, they're guarded in what they say, and in some cases, rightfully so. But I think if honesty and integrity are the basis for how you speak and communicate, you, you won't go wrong there. Um, again, you, you have to be 
that that doesn't mean saying everything that leaps to mind, um, but it people very quickly see through when someone is being insincere, and I, I think that doesn't serve you well. So my advice to people is be true to yourself and and be honest to the greatest extent you can. So on the other on the other side of that conversation, when you're influencing leaders, you know on how uh, on how and what for them to say. Uh, you know, to the university and to their constituents. Think about what are some of the biggest oversights or or mistakes uh, they might be making? How do they they resonate with that? How do they take that? Do they get it? And, and, And do they actually admit that? You know, I think people who have risen to the level that with the people that I work with, they are smart people who surround themselves with people who know their business and they listen to people. Now, that doesn't mean they always agree uh, far from it, but they listen. And so I view part of my job in a lot of cases telling the boss something he doesn't want to hear. Um, and what he does with that, uh, that, that's why they are the leaders of the organization. They get to make those calls and they get to go with their instincts or their gut or their data, whatever the case may be. But I view my job as to, uh, you know, give them the broad lay of the land. If you say this, it will, here are the potential impacts of it. Uh, one of my bedrock things is here's how this is going to play in Peoria. You know, we, one of the continual tensions, I think, in in our organization and probably all organizations is the tension between the legal department and the communication department. Now, I'm fortunate here and that we have a great general counsel at the University of Colorado. But, you know, his job is to prevent us from being sued generally or to, you know, put us in a position where we're not spending time in court. My job is the court of public opinion. So sometimes those two don't mesh quite so. Um, But I think it's important to have those discussions. So having an environment where you can have those discussions is critical. And for me as a communications professional, having a seat at the table is just as critical. The boss isn't always going to listen to what I say, but I always feel like I'm able to have my say, and that's important. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. 
Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. We're talking with Ken McConaughey, and Ken has a position at uh, University of Colorado, where he is with the, all the leaders of the organization, you know, you can imagine talking about all the different issues that come up. And I love what you said, Ken, about the, you know, your court is a court of public opinion. So in the, you having influence with them, there's a lot of stuff in the literature now about pre-framing. Um, Robert Cialdini's got a book called Pre-Suasion. And the whole premise is, is how you start something is how you succeed. And from our, our friend Dr. Rudolph uh, there in Fort Collins and you know, married to Dr. Luckner, also there at University of Northern Colorado, some of the research on harsh startup versus uh, soft startup. So what are some of the, the ways that you would start kind of a conversation just for them to get you to listen to them? I think really the first step is you have to know your leader. You have to know what they respond to, how they want to hear things. You know, I've had um, presidents who want to hear every little detail of how you believe a situation will play out. I've had them, my my current boss, wants you to get right to the point. So knowing how your leader wants to receive information is critical in how you present it. And so you have to you have to tailor your approach to that. But at the end of the day, my job is to protect and promote 
our university's image and reputation, and what flows from that is our financial assets as well. So, you know, you also have to think about the leader as a person and the organization, and certainly they are intertwined to a great degree, but not completely. So, you know, how I try and frame things is what's best for the university. And if that's my starting and ending point, then I think okay. I'm doing good. So that's a great way to kind of say, or what, what are we about? This is just not my opinion, but this is really what's, you know, kind of the end in mind that we know from Stephen Covey, you know, habit number one. Great. You know, I want to get into some of these uh, case studies, if we can, uh, Ken. And um, I'd like you, as we go through some of these case studies, if you could just touch on some of the general do's and don'ts that we can glean uh, from the experiences you've had uh, in uh, the communication around these kinds of incidents, it would be really helpful for our listeners. So kind of what went wrong in the case, um, what should have happened, what was the result. So let me, let me just start us off with uh, with one that I think is of national uh, interest uh, because it, it's, um, it's part and parcel of a series of what we're calling uh, for lack of a better understanding of what they truly are, uh, a you know an attack uh, of a terrorist nature, if you will. And they're not always necessarily terrorist attacks, but they're American-based uh, terrorist attacks in the sense that they are uh, creating havoc and chaos in our own communities. And that would be um, the Aurora Theater uh, shooting and the situation there with James Holmes. Uh, uh, evidently, he was a student uh, in your university. Maybe you can just start with that one. Yeah, so James Holmes was a uh, student in a graduate program in, in neuropsychology at the university. High-functioning program, very well regarded, very um, difficult to get in. Um, and so along the way... In his first year in the program, he struggled a bit and had a little hard time, not with the coursework, but with kind of presentation stuff. So he um, approached some of our counseling people into his second semester and said he's having trouble with his presentations in class. This conversation morphed into, and I have these dark thoughts, for lack of a better phrase. And, you know, our folks work with him for a number of months. And then at the end of the school year, he withdrew from school. Um, He had difficulty with an important milestone test in the program. Now, the inclination of our folks is to they, they want students to succeed, so they're going to do everything they can to help them succeed, which they did in this case. Uh, Mr. Holmes rejected that. He left school. He left the counseling he was in, which had turned much more from you know, his academic difficulties to his personal difficulties. Uh, and then, of course, you know, all of our leadership was at a retreat when we got the news early one morning that there was a shooting at the movie theater in Aurora and several people dead, many wounded, and, oh, he's a former student. So, you know, in these type of situations, people naturally want to know why. 
Why did this happen? How did this happen? Who is this person? And so they look at their associations, and his association with the university was the most recent, and and obviously a lot of fodder was out there about his time at the university. Um, but as we looked at this from a communication standpoint, a couple of things were critical for us, and I think these apply to any communication situation. Number one, you have to get the facts. You have to know what the facts of the situation are. When you're in a situation like that with national media breathing down your neck and you know police giving press conferences every couple of hours, the information churn is just tremendous. So it's it's really tempting just to piecemeal the information as it comes in. But what we really did was try and take a step back, learn as much as we could about his time in the program, talk to the faculty, talk about the circumstances of his leaving the university. So getting the facts was a critical first step. And you know, these it's not a get all of the facts and then put all of the facts out. It's a matter of there's going to be several bites at that apple where you're learning different things and you're releasing different things uh, at strategic moments. But getting those facts is critical. The other one is speaking with one voice. Uh, one of our other case studies that I can talk about, that did not happen at all, and I, I think that kills you in a crisis situation where different people in the organization are saying different things. So, you know, we gather together an issues management team, and I think that's an important part of getting the facts is get the right people in the room and have well, those discussions. Yeah, the, the issues management is, is a big one. Um, working with... Uh, military and paramilitary professionals, they are incredibly good at keeping the information uh, inside the circle and close hold, uh, especially when things are still under investigation. So that, that issues team is very important. I guess a good example of that would be the firing of Ward Churchill. Can you talk a little bit about that? He was a tenured professor, uh, I guess, in your organization who spoke out on the World Trade Center shootings. Uh, excuse me, not shooting, the World Trade Center bombing. Yeah, he was a tenured professor, and I think when you look up kind of radical university professor, you would probably see his picture in the dictionary. He he really fit the profile. He was a very prolific scholar in the area of uh, largely indigenous people, um, but he had written this essay that flew under the radar for a long time that basically said the people killed in the World Trade Center bombings had it coming because of America's place in the world. He called them little Eichmanns. So this came up. Um, he was supposed to give a talk at a small college in New York, and a student journalist unearthed this essay, and it became an issue, and it became a huge issue uh, because, you know, in the culture wars, you have... Uh, this prevailing notion of higher education as this left-wing brainwashing factory, which I would dispute, but he was the poster child for that. So what happened subsequently was his research was called into question by many of the scholars in his field. So we had a very difficult situation of, here's a professor who said some horrific things, terrible things, um, but... Here was a professor who had a First Amendment right and a right to academic freedom, just like all of our faculty. 
And when all of this came to uh, the, the fore publicly, his research started being investigated, and he was called to uh, a standing committee on research misconduct at our university. He was eventually fired for research misconduct, but what he would say and what others would say is you fired him for what he said. So we had to be extremely careful about that. He sued us immediately after he was fired. He got a jury verdict. Uh, he won the verdict, but the jury awarded him $1 in damages, which says something about what they right. felt like were the merits of the case. So this was a very difficult situation for us to communicate. He had a very savvy attorney who uh, you know, was ready to jump on the university in any turn. So just to give you an example of how we had to manage that, our Board of Regents is the ultimate authority on firing tenured professor after he goes through considerable process. So they did fire him, but as part of the communications leading up to that, we had to prepare for two scenarios. One, mm. that he was fired. Two, that he was not. So I had to write communication plan for both of those scenarios because what we didn't want to happen was the attorney say, well, you knew you were going to fire him all along. Your communications people were developing all these communications that said so. You know, as a public university, we're an open book. People can request things from our university. In most every case, they get them. So this provided a very difficult situation. I think really what that comes back to is another key tenant to me of communication, which is really having your values as an organization guide you in what you do. And our value in this case was the integrity of our research enterprise is sacrosanct. You know, we have to ensure that the research we do at our university is uh, accurate. It's above board. It's peer reviewed. Um, you know, we had at our university 925 million in, in research funding last year. So, you know, if you've got a bad reputation wow. for um, sloppy research, you're not going to be bringing in that kind of money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, research integrity was one of our primary values. So, so Ken, this is fascinating. Um, you know, we're getting kind of a window into kind of this crisis uh, communication. Maybe what's it like in that in those meetings? You know, are people pretty calm? You know, I imagine it's all a variety of things. And then, let's say, you know, in those meetings, who's who's kind of monitoring, facilitating? Because you have everybody. You know, I'm sure coming in. It's one of these things we talk from an emotional intelligence standpoint of the amygdala hijack, the emotional part of your brain takes over the cognitive prefrontal cortex part of your brain. And so you're dealing with a lot of, to use that term, hijack people, um, you know, who are part of the event, but then also you folks trying to figure out how do we communicate that they're hijacked. What's, what's that scene like in there, if you can kind of paint a picture? Well, I'm glad to hear the, the scientific uh, explanation for it, really, because <laughs> right. it, it certainly happens. You know, in, in higher education, we've got a lot of smart people sitting at the table, a lot of PhDs sitting around, and savvy, uh, sophisticated people. So as you can imagine, in those meetings, there's a lot of strong opinions. But I think one of the things that's important, and the leader, again, sets the tone for this, is... Yeah. What are we going to accomplish here? What do we need to walk out of this room with and really keep us on task? 
again, listening to the various opinions, uh, listening to the expertise, and then making a decision. And there is often a significant amount of disagreement in those rooms and significantly divergent opinions. But what we agree on is when we walk out of the room, we walk out of the room together and hopefully what we're doing is speaking with one voice about an issue. So determining who is going to be that person to speak, what are our key points, those are the kind of things that you have to walk out with. And at the end of the day, again, the leader is the person who who gets to make those ultimate decisions. So just a fo- quick follow-up question. Is there a rule of thumb in time frame to get a message out? We have this tool that Kathy and I talk about of the white space, that if, if you don't fill in the white space at the university, the public has already filled in the white space with probably everything that's wrong or not even accurate. But are you like? is there a time frame that you know you have to get something out that you want to kind of honor? Yeah, I I think uh, the short answer is as soon as possible, but that can be simply a holding statement where you're providing just a basic level of fact. I think where a lot of organizations get tripped up is the pressure of how fast the world works and how fast media and particularly social media work. They are under intense pressure to get the message out quickly. But I would come back to the notion of get the facts right. You know, you can't be dribbling out facts that are either not accurate or partially accurate. Um, You have to resist the temptation. You have to balance the temptation of getting things out immediately with what is going to help you in the long run is getting things right. And, you know, I deal with the media a lot, and the media is an insatiable beast that must be fed constantly. So, uh, you know, Part of my job is to tell them, look, we're going to have something for you in an hour, by 2 o'clock, by tomorrow morning, you know, giving them a sense that, hey, we're working on this and we're going to have stuff for you, but we're not going to get out ahead of ourselves because it's much harder to go back and clean up messes uh, that, you know, you didn't need to make in the first place. So this is really helpful, and we're going to go to our next break in a second, and then we'll we'll come back and kind of maybe hear some of these other um, key case studies that you've been involved in and can also comment. So you're listening to Leadership Development News. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. 
Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better what do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately how do you delegate effectively how do you develop strong relationships across the organization emotional intelligence training coaching books and tools by dr nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're having an exciting conversation with communications expert, uh, Ken uh, McConnell. And, you know, Ken, you've been talking about some of these very difficult cases that you have been working on related to the university, but you have been asked as a consultant and a strategic communications consultant to get involved with some cases that have nothing to do uh, with the university, and one of them is the United Airlines uh, issue related to uh, reputation and, and, you know, how that impacts them uh, nationally, globally, how it impacts their stock, their leadership. What would you, um, you know, what would you advise them to do as a consultant? And how long will it take to win back reputation and stock price? Well, I, I think as far as advising them, what I would say is, is really come back to your values as an organization. So without... Having detailed knowledge of that, I would suggest that one of United's organizational values is treating their customers right and uh, understanding that it's easy to Monday morning quarterback how they handled things. I, I think there are a few, you know, it's illustrative of how you don't handle things. So obviously you have a video of a passenger literally being dragged off an airline. 
And so one of the initial, and I, I can't stress enough, your first shot out of the cannon is critical. Um, and their first shot out of the cannon was this passenger was disruptive. He wasn't listening. He had to go. And so when you try and square that with an organizational value of our customers are are we value our customers those those don't wash and of course what we know is that the CEO later came back a couple of couple of days later and had to apologize for that and taken a a different tack um and that's you never want to have to come back and explain yourself for saying something wrong you know you want to get it right the first time which is coming back to what we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, get the facts and have those discussions about how we're going to walk out of the room and, and talk about this and how's it going to play in Peoria. You know, when people see the video of a passenger dragged off an airline and then what they hear from the airline is, yeah, he wasn't listening, he was disruptive, that may be. Uh, you know, the gentleman may have been disruptive, but none of the videos I saw showed showed that. You know, you have a, a guy with a bloody nose and blood on his face. And and so I think what happened was, you know, you either – a lot of organizations, it's tempting to kill the messenger. And the passenger wasn't quite the messenger in this, but he was – made a scapegoat, I think, by United, and you can't do that. I mean, you have to step back and look at your institutional values and integrity, and how are they going to guide what we talk about out there in public? Well, to the point you're making, which I agree with totally, there are three things um, that I think people should keep in mind um, that are very helpful when dealing with these kinds of public uh, events. We had this happen a few years ago in the Phoenix airport when a woman uh, was out looking for help and she appeared to be mentally ill. And as a result, you know, that was a huge scandal uh, that hit the news because of how she was handled by the security and TSA in the airport. But, um, you know, people uh, need to be more compassionate towards other human beings. And when we see people in trouble, uh, I think it's important that we use our emotional and social intelligence to to do what we can to extend our assistance to that person. And uh, had it been me on that plane, I, I would have tried to have asked the United Airlines professionals how I could have been of any assistance. And they might have said nothing, but I would have at least advocated on that person's behalf, regardless of their family members being on the plane. Obviously, they didn't... Um, or weren't able to get their point across. So I think we need to be more human, if you will, in uh, how we distinguish between people who need help and people who are, quote-unquote, out of control. Um, Kathy, I think that's that's an excellent point that just before you leave that I Mm -hmm. I would make is that organizations really need to keep in mind the human factor as they're dealing with certainly crisis situations. I think that is too often lost. You know, we're dealing with people and lives and emotions, and too often the, the corporate bottom line doesn't do those things well, so it's critical to keep the human factor in mind. No, absolutely. And, um, so let's let's go to this um, issue hey, of yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me, let me just say one more thing about the United Airlines. I mean, sure. we go to the last one. So what, what's so interesting about this, Ken, 
um, is their CEO, Oscar Munaz of United Airlines, I think this past year was voted the best CEO in uh, communications. Well, and I I don't know if you guys saw it, but we had a full-page ad in the Denver Post on Sunday that was an open letter from him, and it was basically saying, we screwed up, and here's what we're doing to change things. Now, he could have done the, here's what we're doing to change things, and not done the we screwed up part, and they managed it right out of the gate, but obviously they didn't, so now they have to come back. Um, so that it's difficult to retrace your steps. But I think you bring up such a good point around trust, because like you're saying, the human factor, it's all on trust. And we know that one of the bottom lines about trust, this goes back to even some of the uh, assessments that Kathy and I use, you know, what is trust? And then how do you become a star in trust? Well, one is publicly admitting your mistakes, you exactly. know, and that's, and that's what the public wants. And then we, then we evaluate how sincere it was. But, and again, that go back to what you said earlier, Ken, about the gap. If you wait too long, you know, even though you you admit mistakes and it's a month later, you know, you've you've lost your reputation. Yeah, you really need to own issues and if appropriate, you need to apologize for the issues and you need to tell people what you're going to do to fix it or yeah. to prevent it from happening again. This is kind of crisis communication 101, but it's shocking how right. even sophisticated organizations like United fumble that. So before we leave well, that, Catherine, then we can go to your mm-hmm. question. How how long do you think it'll take them to get get over this? I mean, again, it's your kind of armchair quarterback sense. You know, is this something like a a year, two years? I mean, right now, you know, on late night TV shows are being made fun of. You know, I think that the the public's attention span is very short, and certainly we've seen the the hit that they've taken to stock prices and those short term profits. Um, but my assessment is that it won't linger. I mean, they won't carry this reputation with them forever. And I think some of the things they are doing now, including the opening open letters from the CEO are the start of the process of, of rebuilding their reputation. But I think the public's attention span is short enough that they will weather it. Yeah, I, and I would just pitch in here as we move into another conversation that I think people have already moved past it. I mean, here's the problem. You have a major carrier of human beings called United Airlines. We have very few carriers left. Uh, if you look at the competitive market in airlines, it's dwindling. Uh, United is, is one of a few, and they own a lot of the skyline. I think it's probably a bigger issue in their home hub there of, of Denver than it might be in other places. And I would say that uh, people have had a good time with this, but I think people have moved on from it. And it, it is going to be – I think it's already done and finished. I think at this point it's, it's the company worrying about their stock price, and they'll do things to offer free stuff and points and all kinds of stuff, and they'll start giving away a lot of stuff on their airlines, like alcohol and food, uh, just to make sure that uh, that people know that they care about people. But it's not caring about people all the time. It's caring about people at the moments when it matters most, which is uh, a discerning moment, uh, a decision point in somebody's well-being. So as we move on, I think it's very funny that um, American society in particular always goes to sports. Everything is a sports analogy, and when you're a woman, uh, sometimes it pains you to have to constantly deal with it, but I'm going to deal with it. Uh, One of the biggest issues we have in the American public sports arena 
is violence. Uh, we just had uh, an individual commit suicide uh, in jail, even after they were acquitted uh, of certain charges. I'm not going to go into details on that. We have the scandal here in Pennsylvania uh, with the coaches at uh, Penn State, and that continues to peel back the onion on bad behavior. And um, I know you can't talk about the details of the case that's unveiling uh, before you at this very moment there uh, in in Colorado, Ken, but maybe you could talk about um, how one deals with uh, sports and the continuing sports traumas that come to light, and in this particular case, uh, one of domestic violence allegations. Yeah, I think you're right, Kathy. I think sports plays an outsized role in our culture, but here we are. So the one we're dealing with at the University of Colorado now, um, we had a football team that was, you know, at one time national champion, but had fallen on hard times for the past decade. Last season had a kind of Cinderella turnaround season, won the Pac-12 South, good feeling all the way around. After the end of the season, as the team was preparing to go to a bowl game, and this all came out in a Sports Illustrated article, so this is all public information, uh, the girlfriend of one of the assistant coaches called the head coach and said that she had been the victim of domestic violence uh, for a couple of years at the hands of the assistant coach. And, you know, the Sports Illustrated article was very scathing and basically it intimated that universities like ours value athletic success more than they value integrity. And, you know, uh, there are a lot of facts that are, that did not get in the article, but I would say how we manage this. So this happened in early December. Uh, Part of it was the coach was elevated to, a higher position defensive coordinator in the bowl game. And the question was, did we know this? Should we have elevated him? Was it swept under the rug? Uh, the Sports Illustrated article came out long after the, the game. So it was, I think, the end of January. So what we've done in this situation is we uh, engaged a law firm of the you know, top, Title IX people in the country to launch an inquiry into this. That was launched on Valentine's Day, and it's still ongoing. We expect their final report here in a couple of weeks. But this goes back to what I was talking about. Of You have to get the facts of what happened. Now, I would say that when this article came out, we did, I think, what was a good thing in terms of crisis communication. We apologized. We didn't manage this situation well from the outset. And, you know, the football coach, the athletic director, the chancellor of the campus all publicly apologized for that and said we're going to look into the facts of this and see what else needs to happen. So getting the facts is an important piece of it. We have a communication group that has been meeting regularly on this, and one of our important things we know, no matter what comes out, is that we're going to speak with one voice about this. And um, it gets to a deeper issue that I think all organizations deal with, which is, What is the difference and perhaps the intersection between reputation and integrity? 
you know, an organization such as United, their reputation perhaps is how they get people from point A to point B. You don't think too much about their integrity until an issue happens like uh, what we saw recently. So for us on this issue, it's really, you know, getting the facts and then dealing with them as an institution of higher education that values its integrity. So that's our North Star. And again, coming back to what I is often my starting point in these meetings is what is best for the university. And sometimes reputation reputation is critical and the positive side of reputation is is something that every organization should be aware of. But they also shouldn't shouldn't confuse reputation with integrity. Reputation is generally how people in the world see you. Integrity is what kind of people you are. Now sometimes they're one and the same, but Sometimes they're not. So that's how we're looking at this issue. It, it's been a challenge and will remain a challenge. Well, Ken, uh, this is fascinating to hear you say that because I think you know, you're know you kind of in that internal war room, the communication strategy war room, you know, every day. But this whole idea, I think, as we take away for leaders, kind of the value of the right question at the right time. You know, and so starting off, before people start going down a, a path and think about liability issues, you know, what's best for the university? Uh, short-term, mid-term, long-term. I mean, all those questions are really valuable, but, you know, for Kathy and I working as consultants in organizations, if you don't ask the right questions, um, you know, people are just can go down a rat hole and, and you kind of miss the bigger bigger picture. And it does sound like you're able to not only ask the right questions, but it's that timing of setting the precedent. And the more and more that I'm studying around communications, kind of how you start is how you succeed. And if you start off the wrong way, you know, and get defensive and everything else, it's it's hard to kind of come back from that. So it sounds like you're you're doing a great job uh, with all that. Are there kind of some other tips that you would, let's say, for leaders and organizations to to make sure that they're doing when they're with their teams and highlighting whatever the issues may be in their organization? Yeah, I think we've been talking a lot about crisis situations, and certainly you've got to pay attention to them. But I would also say that, you know, your routine, everyday communications are critical as well. And most all organizations pay attention to this to some degree or another. But I think really... You know, being deliberate about your communications. Who are our audiences? What do we need to say to them? How are we going to communicate with them? How will we learn their opinions? You know, the things that you do every day are part of who you are as an organization. And they also serve you well when it comes crisis time, you know, because you have a baseline to operate from. And if you do you know, routine communications well, your chances for doing crisis communications improve greatly. So I would urge organizations, you know, do the communications basics. You know, what do we want to say? Who do we want to say it to? How are we going to say it? How are we going to measure it? Great. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't think of a, a better topic in these day, uh, in this day and time to uh, have for our audience. Ken, you've been uh, a terrific help to uh, guiding us through some of the do's and don'ts and the how-tos, especially with very smart people who are hard to teach and a little bit 
uh, as Raleigh likes to say, uh, you know, we name it a team that they're a little hard to tame. But I want to thank you on behalf of Raleigh and myself and Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with myself, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Dr. Raleigh Nadler. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in to tune up your leadership performance. And we hope you'll come back and learn where emotional engagement meets performance right here at Leadership Development News. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.